Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode, and it just might be my favorite once you hear who the guest is, and she's giving me a face now, but (laughs) welcome to another episode of Mothers of Misfits. Today, we're joined by the one, the only, my mom, Darla Main. Uh, She is an amazing woman, of course, and she has been a trailblazer in so many ways, a misfit in her own right. She's a financial advisor. And how long? About 35 plus years? Not that long. I'm not that old. (laughs) 31 years. 31 years in the financial industry and paved her own way as a female entrepreneur. I admire her and I respect her for so many things, but she is here today to share all the embarrassing stories about my childhood and also talk about the philosophies that she and my dad had when they were raising my sister and myself. I have an older sister, Rebecca. She's four years older than me. And as I am now a parent, I have thought back to the many ways that my parents instilled in me that sense of confidence and embracing my misfit self. So I thought it would be a lot of fun to have my mom on the podcast to talk about all the juicy stories of the crazy things I did as a kid and how I ended up this way. Hopefully, hopefully in a good place. But thanks for coming on, mom. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here today. Yeah, and she's, of course, like all of our moms, I'm my best cheerleader, so I've been really excited to share my podcasting journey with her, and now to have her be a part of it is really exciting. So let's just start with it. What was I like as a kid? Oh, precocious, adventuresome in some respects, curious, but most of all, you always wanted to have your birthday parties at home, despite all of the enticements to go to the zoo or having a birthday party at a a trampoline park or a skating rink. No, we want my party at home. So mom, you've got to be real creative and come up with a theme and we're going to have a blast, but I want my party at home. I'm still a homebody and my oldest Mason, he's a homebody. So that clearly has stuck with me. As a result of those requests, you actually came up with some very incredible parties. We did Uh, spoon races where you had to keep, I think, a cotton ball on the end of a spoon in your mouth while you raced in the backyard. Mm -hmm. We did Garage Jeopardy, was Mm -hmm. it? Where you had pieces of paper on the the garage. Yes. I seriously had the coolest birthday party. So (laughs) don't underestimate the power of a home birthday party or call up Darlamine for really amazing ideas. Who needs Pinterest? Just call her. So the other thing that you like to remind me about my childhood is that I wasn't really one to stick with things or you could say commit to things. Now I was all in, I just didn't stay all in with the same thing in my defense. And to drop back a minute and give some context in the work that I do, I help people understand how they're naturally wired to operate. And that's separate from personality and intelligence And it's something that we're actually ingrained with. So from birth till the time we leave the world, we have this natural way of doing things. And for some of us, that means seeing something through to completion. And for others of us, myself included, it means needing variety, not always finishing what you start, changing things up. 
And I think that's important to point out because as you're going to talk about the variety of things that I got into, it can create some tension in the family, particularly if we're not understanding where our kids are coming from. And there can be maybe a misperception of being a quitter or not being responsible, whereas in reality, it could be that their instincts just cause them not to stick with something. But tell everybody the many things that I went through and you spent money on. I know there were financial implications to my decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Several, many. We're going to compare you a little bit to your sister who started playing violin at the age of four and it became her passion all the way through to a master's degree. We were constantly in lessons and moving and here and there with her. And it almost felt like Emily was always riding in the back seat. And so we would say to Emily, what do you want to do? What can we do for you so that you get to be in the front seat? And so we tried ballet and we got the little pink leotard tights with the little black leotard. But the thing you liked the most were the tap shoes. Oh, yeah. But you didn't like class. So I think probably out of an eight-week session, you did three. And before we would go, you always had to have something to eat, and we'd have to stop, and then we'd be late. And it was like, that was a no-go. But you kept the tap shoes and and the leotard, and you played with that at home. So I think one of the other things was, how about tennis lessons? Oh, because I had, we had tennis courts where we lived and how about tennis lessons? Oh, we tried that, but you like the instructor Lance (laughs) better than you like the lessons. And I think I paid for eight weeks again and we may have done four. All right. We, we didn't like, we decided we didn't like tennis. So a little, a few years later, we like, oh, is there something else you'd like to do? I want to play the drums. So I said, the drums. Oh, well, that's interesting. The drums. We were, I think we were close to high school by that time. So we, we started taking drum lessons, but that meant you had to buy the black pearl drum set that's set in your bedroom that really never got played. But we did take a few lessons, but we didn't finish those either. However, you did extremely well in school on the drums Mm -hmm. because you were the only girl and about 10 guys. Exactly. And that was my misfit moment because I knew that I was blazing my own trail in that way. And I did stick with drums, not so much the set that was at my house, but Mm -hmm. I did stick with drums in school. And I was the first female drum captain. And I was also the first to hold that position for three years because typically it was reserved for seniors. And I think that was just my need to defy convention and rules, which has also stuck with me until today. And so for those of you who are listening and you have a little Emily at home, we want to make sure that we're matching our kids in their commitment level. And as parents, sometimes we want them to commit to something or we go all out and my husband wants to buy the best equipment and get them the best soccer nets or soccer cleats and recognizing that some kids might be dabblers. Um, Now that said, we also want to make sure our kids know what a commitment means versus an attempt. And we also want to make sure that they understand the meaning of responsibility. But our kids are going to be different in terms of how long they want to be invested in something. And my sister is a great 
contrast to me because she went all in for her whole life. And to this day, violin is a passion. And I unfortunately haven't played drums for a while. <laughs> mm, no, I think you still have the sticks. Do and I am teaching Mason how to play the drums. So oh, we'll, we'll see. I'll keep everybody. That's tuned. wonderful. That's yeah. cool. cool. So we'll see where Mason takes it because he's definitely a chip off of um, my block. block. Mm -hmm. But but the interesting thing about the drums and the fact that you were the the only girl on the drum line. You were the only girl that rode on the drum bus, the drum line bus. They had their own bus, believe it or not. But right after that. In the subsequent years, from your, the first year you began doing that, there were many girls that, that joined the drumline. So maybe you blazed the path. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But you weren't the only girl for three years. Yeah, no, I, that's so true. Thinking back, there, there were other girls that hopefully were inspired by my journey to be on the drumline as well and try out different instruments as a result. So let's talk about school because I was committed to school. I was a very good student. And I know that also has to do with your commitment and dad's commitment to our education. So how did you instill in a desire that was a healthy one? I don't think we had an unhealthy relationship with grades or need to do well in school, but we were and continue to be high achievers. So how did you help us strike that balance? and be good performers in school? Well, I think the important part to answer that question is that as parents, we were actively involved in your education. We just didn't send you off and let the teachers do their job and then bring you home and never ask you about what happened. So we were fortunate to live in a township, which you now live in with your own children, where they actually have to bus the parents in to the parent-teacher conferences because there are no more parking places in the parking lot because everybody is involved like that. So we always looked at your homework when you came home. We never forced good grades. It, it was what it was. But I think because we encouraged you to do your best that you just had this desire to do that. We didn't criticize or hit you over the head if you brought home a bad grade or you did something silly, while we're talking about silly things or things that could make a difference, I used to follow as a mother a program on the radio at the time, and it was called Focus on the Family. And the head of Focus on the Family was Dr. James Dobson. Dr. Dobson said when my children were young, and this was profound, never make a big deal over anything your child does that won't have an impact 10 years later. So if they came home with a, their belly button pierced or whatever it is that you think was off the charts, 10 years later, will that make a big deal? Will you have the same reaction then that you did when it happened when you, to your child at the moment? And I think that's something about bringing home bad grades because everybody can have a bad day. So I think we just encouraged you if you did. have I don't remember having bad marks on your maybe. I on got more in trouble for talking, talking. in class, <laughs> which has served me well as a podcaster now and giving advice by coaching and talking for that's a living. Right. But in the school environment, that wasn't as welcome. So we'll tell a funny story about that in a minute. Exactly. But that's really profound. And I think don't yeah. sweat the small stuff. No. If it's something that will impact your child 10 or 15 or 20 years later for whatever activity they're in or whatever they have done, that's something you can make a big deal over. 
but don't make a big deal over the teeny tiny things that'll happen on a day to day for a kid coming home from an elementary school. I just can't see that as mm-hmm. being helpful to any child. When you got bust in for those parent-teacher conferences, you say you always knew where my seat was going to be. So tell everybody that that story, because I um, thought I was getting promoted, but you, <laughs> you can share what was actually happening. Well, your father and I would enter the hallway, and it usually had, was full of little pictures and artwork that the kids would do and for all the moms and dads to see. And we would proceed into the room. But before we did, we'd fist bump at the door and we're like, want to take a bet where that her chair is this year? And it was always almost right in front of the teacher every single time. And that's because they would tell us we love her. She's a good student, but she's really social. And what that meant was she talks all the time. And so social was fine for Emily because she could be social and still get her work done. But she was a real inhibitor to everybody around her. So I guess that she and the teacher would engage in conversation, probably so the other students around her could get their work done. She was a social talker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank goodness. I thought, again, it was all good. I just thought the best students sit in the front, of course. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I remember on many occasions, and there was a lot of intentionality on your part around this, was that you put my sister and myself in a lot of adult settings. You had conferences or events or dinners that you would attend, very professional, mostly adults. You would take us shopping. We'd get a nice new outfit. And I would go to these events where I might have been the only young person or amongst a small group. And you did that intentionally. Why? Well, there are circumstances that we can put our children in to help them see a broader world. And I'm a financial advisor. I've been one for 31 years. Um, And when I started my career, there weren't very many women in there. I, I was usually one out of 40, something like that in, in a room. And I've become very accustomed to that. It would be really nice to take your children into those settings to see what their opportunities could be. There are opportunities out there that are very broad and putting you in those settings also taught you how to look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, talk to an adult, carry on a conversation and prepare yourself for your own career. And I'm very happy that we did that. And I have brought colleagues home for dinner just so my children could see the kind of people that I work with on a day-to-day basis and how those interactions transpired. That was huge. And that's absolutely something I want to make sure I carry on with my kids we learned a lot of life skills. And I remember folks would compliment us and that helped with my own confidence that you carry such a good conversation. You ask really good questions for a young person. I really appreciated meeting you. And when it came to transition to high school and then to college, and as you said, career, it was no big deal for me to reach out to somebody and that might have been deep into their profession, very successful and say, Hey, can we have a a coffee chat? And I'd love to pick your brain about what made you successful or reaching out to people for this podcast. And, you know, Hey, would you want to come on and share your expertise? 
I didn't have really social anxiety to make connections, to have conversations with strangers, particularly if they didn't look like me, if they weren't part of my peer group. And I really think it all stemmed back to those early interactions and building confidence around social engagements with people that were different. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that you actually went into your degree and the things you pursued in college. But I also want to talk about the degree. Like I said, Emily was never really a conformist. She never broke the rules, but she just didn't conform to like the typical, you're in a box when that included in college. So she gets into college and she ended up having to create her own degree program and present that to the Dean because she couldn't be pigeonholed in the certain things that they had. It actually worked. She came out. Don't sound so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, she has a degree that's not your typical degree from a college, but it's a, it's a wonderful degree and it's multifaceted and it has just propelled her into an incredible career for which we are extremely grateful and proud of her. Well, that makes me think of a piece of advice that I know both of you gave me, or I don't remember a specific instance, but I, I do remember this is how you phrased it, or at least the feeling behind it. If I ever was facing a challenge, or I felt I hit a roadblock, you both would say to me, Emily, if you can't find the opportunity, go create it. There was never this sense of, well, well, you hit a dead end, you better just stop or turn around. There was never this sense of, well, well, you hit a dead end, you better just stop or turn around. Never. It was always, what are you going to do to create it for yourself? So I had this sense of confidence and, uh, boundlessness might be the right word. The sense of, I don't have anything constraining me. I can go make what I want to have happen. And and some level of naivety around that, which was actually great because I didn't see a lot of challenges or defeating angles to my vision. And it's gotten me to here and Mm -hmm. I'm sure will continue to propel me further. And that's what I also want to project onto my boys. You know, I've seen a lot of people in life just feel very defeated And like they don't have control over their situation for those are familiar with that concept of locus of control, Uh that difference between that feeling that you control your destiny or it's controlled by external forces. And through our childhood, you and dad did a really good job of giving us that internal locus of control that I have control over my future. And yeah, things will happen, but I don't have to just roll over and take it. So last question for you, because Rebecca and I have always been, and to this day, are two really different people. Mm -hmm. And in adulthood, we've really come to appreciate that, respect that in each other, enjoy that about each other. Childhood is a little harder. But how did you navigate raising two really different kids? I think you have to play into the strengths of both. And you've got to give them equal attention. One's not better than the other. I think the age difference or four years difference in you, that sometimes posed a few problems. Like if you wanted to go to the movies for whatever the older child wanted, it was too advanced for what the younger child wanted. But we divided our time. We spent a ton of time as a family, though. We really did. We had family dinners every single night. We always sat around the dinner table. That was huge. Always. No uh, matter what. Even in high school, when that was a crazy time and we all had different schedules and you and dad. And everybody had their, had their own, own car and their own license. Own and we had 
family, family dinners. dinners. And I think that is important. We have some giggles around the table and the spilled ketchup and the whole nine yards. And, and that's really fun. That's a great time as a family. But raising two different children, we're all different people. I'm different from my husband. My husband is different from my older daughter. We're just, we're all different. And I think we have to just celebrate the uniqueness. Even today, they raise their children different. They have, their husbands are different. They have different likes, but we all learn to get along. And we do a great job of that. So we still have a great time as a family when we're all together. So yeah, we I think that's saying, important. We were just saying just a couple of weeks back, we were all enjoying a meal together and mm -hmm. the, the table has to get bigger because the family has expanded, but mm -hmm. we still come together around mealtime and share laughs and good food. And those are such important times. And it's easy to let the mealtime go with all the craziness. And I think that's one of the couple things you've just got to protect. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think we can overcommit our kids these days. I see that a lot in families. They're overcommitted. And I don't know, they just don't have time to be kids. Yeah. And hey, we should probably have a whole other episode on that. Yeah. But for now, we'll sign off. It is so cool to introduce my mom to the mom community. I'm sure you fell in love with her just as I have just come to so love and respect and appreciate her. She's awesome. And I'm glad I could highlight that with all of you. Thanks for helping us. Remember, your misfit nature is something to be celebrated, and it's really good to be promoted to the front of the class. It sure <laughs> is. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com. <laughs>